This is the CPR for Life podcast with Drs. Sagar Doshi and Zach Harmosis. We specialize in both lifestyle and emergency medicine. This is the show that explains your health problems and how you can undo them. Quick disclaimer, even though what we say is evidence-based, we don't know your specific details. So this is just for education. Make sure you talk this stuff over with your doctor. Okay, welcome back on our, what is probably the last of the series on high blood pressure. And this is where we're really going to get into more detail on what you can do to take this condition back into your hands and start lowering your blood pressure and getting all the wonderful effects of what lower blood pressure will mean to you. I assume it's not sufficient just to say go back and listen to our old podcast because we talk about all the lifestyle changes you need to make. No, no, we're going to go into some more specifics here. Those are real general, broad descriptions of the pillars, just uh, what's your appetite sort of stuff. But you should definitely go listen to those podcasts. And You should. You should. Because there's a lot of good information in there. Yeah. And they get into different details. So how do we fix high blood pressure? Because we know that high blood pressure is not just a lack of blood pressure medications. That's correct. Yeah, the answer is not always just take your pills, although you should. Um, but that's <laughs> Until not... you don't need to. Yeah, correct. And while you're on pills, you should be working your way to not needing them. Yes. And this is, we can talk about how we're going to do that. So let's start with, let's say, the things that you covered previously. Take us through what the standard lifestyle intervention recommendations are, and then we'll get into more depth on those and other ones. Yeah, sure. So um, if, again, you look at the JNC, the current authority on hypertension or elevated blood pressure here in America, uh, the recommendations for a lifestyle uh, which they do suggest smoking cessation, um, your diet. So stop so, smoking. Right. Stop smoking. Stop drinking alcohol. Reduce sodium intake. But wait, I thought alcohol was supposed to be good for us. Yeah. So the <laughs> there was actually just a study actually not that long ago, which finally suggested that there is, quote, no safe amount of daily alcohol intake. That doesn't mean that if you drink a beer a day or a beer a week or a glass of wine every once in a while, that every time you have it, it's harmful and you should never ever do it again. Uh, the point is there is no amount of alcohol daily intake that you can have that is more helpful than harmful. It's always more harmful. Um, the whole idea of like the resveratrol, the antioxidant that's in wine is good for you, is outdated and old. Nobody really believes that anymore uh, because the alcohol effects are so much more toxic and harmful than any benefit you would get from drinking any degree of, of antioxidant. Uh, and that's true. Yeah, any- that actually brings to mind a different study that uh, was comparing some groups of red wine on blood pressure control. And the group that did better is the group that was drinking non-alcoholic red wine. Oh, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that, I mean, that's a great point. Yeah, the point is less alcohol equals better for your health. And again, that's not to say you can't go out and enjoy a glass of wine every once in a while. Nobody's saying that. Um, but just be realizing that that's not good for you. Yeah, don't think you're doing yourself favors by doing that. Right. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, so yes, alcohol intake, little to none if you have elevated blood pressure. Sodium intake, so reduced to less than 2,400 milligrams per day. That's a that's a kind of a, it's kind of a generalized starting point. Some people may have a higher or lower amount that they can take in based on how big they are. But in general, 2,400 milligrams per day uh, or 2,000 if you're being really, really restrictive. Physical activity. Wait, what is that in teaspoons? What is that in how many number of times I can shake my salt shaker? How many teaspoons is that? That is one teaspoon of salt a day. All right. 
Good to know. It's not very much. And one of the easy, I should say real quick before I forget this one, because I think this is always important to say, is that my wife actually taught me this trick. Rather than adding salt in as you're cooking, salt your food afterward. Uh, you tend to put a lot less. People will just like hammer salt in because they think they're not eating the whole thing. And then by the time they look at it, they're actually eating a lot of salt if you put it in while you're cooking. But if you put it in afterward, you actually use a lot less. Yeah. And you can taste it a lot more. Correct. It's right there on the surface, ready to meet your tongue and your taste buds, as opposed to being all mixed in and lost. Correct. And then physical activity. So they call it moderate to vigorous activity three to four times per week, uh, 40 minutes per session, which is a decent amount. I mean, it's not just the, you know, five minutes of, you know, standing up and walking. Uh, you know, you need to actually intentionally get your heart rate up uh, and, and work a little bit when you're trying to exercise. There's, we'll talk more about that. And then stress relief. So relaxation, prayer, meditation, something like that uh, will help out with lowering your blood pressure as well. Yeah. So let's dig into, let's just start with exercise. So exercise can be really fantastic and you may not need to do it as much as you might think. For some people, they think I do not want to be an exerciser. I am a couch potato. I can't handle going out and running for an hour. It doesn't have to be like that. Even just a single session of exercise can drop your blood pressure down maybe five to eight points for the top number. If you are someone that can actually get to 30 to 60 minutes per week, you can still get a huge chunk of benefit. Uh, obviously, if you're going to be able to get to, say, at least 150 minutes, you're going to get more benefit. But Getting just a half an hour per week is going to be able to drop your overall exercise, to, uh, blood pressure-related exercise drop to somewhere between five to eight points, which is big. Yeah, it is big. Kind of like you talked about in uh, the last podcast that, you know, a five to eight decrease is not small at all. I mean, even two to three can be, you know, you might see, expect some drugs or some other interventions to give you that little of, a, of an increase or a decrease sometimes. So five to eight is not is not insignificant at all. Yeah, especially when you combine it to stuff. For example, right. there was another, there are different rehab places that do combinations of exercise, diet change, etc. cetera. Uh, one example is the Pritikin people. And they did a study long ago that showed that 83% of the people that were making adjustments to their exercise and nutrition were able to come off of medications in about a month safely. That's pretty quick too. So that's really important as well. And we can talk about why exercise might actually be making a difference here. Why would moving around a lot drop our blood pressure? So one thing right there is that if we're having a lot of stress, we can decrease how much of those hormones, adrenaline, are floating around in our system, kind of open up those blood vessels a bit. And then when we talked about the endothelium or that inner lining of the blood vessels, those start creating different factors to make themselves expand or dilate. And like we said, when the container is bigger, there's less pushing against it. Mm -hmm. If the Hulk was wearing a bigger shirt, it wouldn't have ripped as easily. I don't don't run away from your from your analogy before <laughs> when you were inside a little children's tube trying to uh, crawl through. That's a all right. Yeah, that's a good if the one. The tube was made for grown-ups because there should be a grown-up option available. I feel strongly about this. If the tube was made for grown-ups, uh, I wouldn't have to push so hard against the edges. Yeah, simple, simple. I mean, I think this is starting to get off off topic a little bit because you're starting to more of a social diatribe that I'm hearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> but then, all right, back to exercise. The other thing that exercise can do is um, we have receptors in our body. We have reflexes in our body that try to judge when where blood vessels need to tamp down and when they need to open up. And they can become, they can reset themselves with consistent exercise so that they are staying a little more open and thus decreasing our blood pressure. So exercise 
regular exercise is vital and can make significant impact. And here's the thing, when you combine it with the other things we're going to talk about, it's not like they cancel each other out. No, they're synergistic. They start helping each other. That's just exercise. Now let's actually, that's not a, I want to talk about some other exercises. Yoga, for example, has been discussed before. Here's the interesting thing on yoga. It can drop your blood pressure in some studies by 11 over six. That's a which lot. Is big. Yeah. Right. And then here's the thing, though. It's hard to figure out what exactly is dropping it. Is it the movement? Is it the stretching? Because stretching actually in itself, if you were to get up and, and do a home stretching regimen, some people have argued that doing a half hour of stretching is actually better than a half hour of brisk walking in terms of just pure blood pressure reduction. So stretching has a component there. Or is it the mindfulness part of yoga? Is it the breathing patterns? Is it the stress release there? And if you look at different studies, some will argue or some have shown that it's really much more of the mindfulness, breathing, stress reduction, and yet others show the opposite. And yet you don't have to choose. You can just do the yoga and get all of it. Yeah, I don't know. The yoga that those people do much must be more relaxing or... I find I, I don't, yoga for me is hard. I'm usually yes. sweating and pretty miserable during during yoga. And I don't mean mis- I shouldn't say miserable, but like it, I feel it. It hurts. So good for them for being mindful. I'm just like think about the pain. Well, you're paying attention to it. That is true, but I don't know that I'm, <laughs> I don't know that I'm lowering my. I, I mean, maybe I am lowering my blood pressure. Who knows? Yeah, you're paying attention to that moment, that sensation, what yes. you're feeling in your body at that moment, and not whatever deadline you have coming up. I know, right? Yeah, but no, yoga is great. Whatever cruddiness happened earlier. I usually tell my parents that. If I had to pick one exercise for them to do consistently, it would be yoga because it's great for strength and flexibility, which will help them with falls and as they balance. get older. Yeah, right. And that's the thing that you want to really avoid as you get older is, is falls. Uh, so I usually am very um, pro yoga when I'm talking to my parents or or anybody, I guess, who's at risk as for that as they age. Not that my parents have fallen or anything, but there will come a time. Hopefully not. What are, What's their age range? They are in their 60s and 70s now. Okay. Late 60s, early 70s. And they're in good health. I mean, my parents are in really good health. Uh, they're, I think, in excellent health. Uh, but still, I mean, you know, 10, 15 years from now, I want them to still be not not have to worry about that stuff. Yeah, that is important. Because once you have one health problem, it just usually cascades right into more and more. So that's exercise. We should all be doing a lot more of it. And the more of it we do, the better. But you don't have to do tons to get benefits. Even something as simple like 30 minutes a week can have benefits. And to be clear, this isn't like 30 minutes a week of like pouring sweat, extremely vigorous. I mean, the vigorous is like, you know, getting your heart rate up and doing, right. you know, uphill outside walking at a brisk pace, but you don't have to be necessarily running or doing, you know, heavy rowing or something like that. Um, but right, you do exactly. have to do, be doing better than like walking from one desk to another to drop off papers to somebody. That also, that does not count. But it needs to be intentional and difficult, but not, again, you shouldn't be pouring sweat necessarily. And I'll say if the other option between you going to someone's desk to drop off papers is them coming to your desk, the better option is you going to someone's desk. Correct. Because any movement, any movement is going to be helpful because just sitting around in the same place for hours on end in itself is harmful. I feel like we're engendering competition among people now, though. If we're saying you going to their desk versus them coming to your desk, you hurry up and go to their desk <laughs> so they can't come to yours and they can't get exercise. And you go to their desk and they're not there because they're at your desk. <laughs> Everybody wins. <laughs> And nobody meets again. Let's just work from home. All right. All right, next. Next. Okay, that's exercise. That's physical activity. Let's talk about nature. Nature was a recent uh, pillar with building evidence coming from it. And did you know in Japan, forest medicine is an actual specialty? No. That's kind of awesome. 
It's amazing. I didn't know this. But so that's where a lot of research is coming from. Forest medicine, so like specifically the effects of being in nature, how, how they affect you? Yep. Okay. Not like wilderness medicine and emergency medicine. Correct. Okay. Right. Not like how to take care of things when you have nothing available. Right. Okay. Or are in an avalanche. Right. So just some interesting things here. Um, variety of different studies looking at this, but typically when you compare people walking in nature versus walking in the city, you're going to find significantly more effect in drops for people walking in nature. For example, one study was looking at forest walking versus walking near a highway, which in itself sounds stress-inducing. Yeah. And I'm surprised that didn't just raise blood pressures. But walking near a highway dropped blood pressures by about 17% over 2% for systolic and diastolic, right? But then you go out in the forest and do the same thing. Now 24% over 29% dropped. 24% drop in your systolic blood pressure? Yeah. That's really high. Which is... Okay. That's a really big number. So I guess people are super stressed out. Yeah, I don't know. Like that's more than most guidelines recommend in an acute hypertensive crisis. Yeah, it's big. (laughs) And yet that's what they found. Wouldn't it be great if you were a hospital near a forest (laughs) and somebody came in with like a hypertensive emergency and you're like, listen, let's go for a walk by this forest. We're not going to give you any medications. Listen, I understand you can't breathe right now and your chest hurts real bad. But we're going to take a walk. Let's go for a walk. (laughs) Yeah. Now that one was an outlier. If you for how effective it was, if you look at other things, other studies, you're going to end up seeing a repeating number of about an eight percent drop. Yeah, that makes more sense. Actually, eight over eight percentage drops, as compared to in these control groups that were going other places, more like three percent drops. So what that says is, hey, moving helps. Moving will drop your blood pressure wherever it is you're moving, even apparently if you're walking next to a highway. But Walking in nature helps even more. They've done other studies where they've actually measured hormone levels in people, and there's lower cortisol. There's, in people walking in nature, lower heart rates, lower blood pressure, as we talked about. They're trying to try and measure parasympathetic nerve activity. That's more if you're walking through nature. And if you are walking through nature and you happen to be in the sunlight, here's something interesting. Sunlight itself is a vasodilator. Which makes which sense. I did not actually know. It, uh, apparently, there's nitric oxide that's in storage near your blood vessels. And when sunlight hits it, they're released. And like we talked about earlier, nitric oxide is one of those things that will help your blood pressure, your vessels get bigger. Can I just throw in a quick plug for wearing sunscreen, though, if you're out in sunlight? <laughs> <laughs> because it's <laughs> it's a big deal. Melanoma is still a thing. Yeah. Eh, I'm not going to wear it as much as you. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> but still, <laughs> in general, please wear sunscreen. Nina's got me on yeah. this whole thing. Nina's, you know, the one who wants me to wear sunscreen the most, and her even. She wears more sunscreen than I do. We should all put that. Nina and I have greater pigment than Zach. That is true. Zach is uh, experiencing pigment deficiency <laughs> syndrome. Let's put like a syndrome on there. It's, a, it's lifelong. It's not terminal, though. That's excellent to know. As long as I don't get too much time in the sun. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. But speaking of sunlight and exposure and things that are natural, let's talk about nutrition. Because nutrition is going to be huge here. Mm-hmm. If you look at the people that get high blood pressure, if you're trying to look at 
different diets and who's going to get more blood pressure. If you're looking at the standard person eating the standard American diet, which is a lot of saturated fat, there's cholesterol, there's too much meat, there's too much dairy. If you're looking at that, these people, as we talked about earlier, are more likely than not by a lot to end up getting high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. The people who are going to have a 75% lower chance of getting high blood pressure are the people that are trying to be closer to a whole food plant-based diet that are not eating anywhere near, well, no meat in this case, or dairy, and are actually trying to take care of themselves. And a 75% drop in a disease with a prevalence of 90% in certain populations is a monumentally high number. I mean, you're not talking yeah. about some really rare disease that happens to, you know, one in 10 million people. So you're going to decrease it by an absolute value of not very much. You're going to decrease it by a ton, if that's the case. Yeah, which would just be fantastic Yeah. on what complications these people are going to get to later down the road. If you look at a regular person who's trying to be on a whole food plant-based diet, their top number of blood pressure is going to be roughly around 100 per usual. If you look at the average American person in the average American diet that's out there, it's usually around 130. So there have been studies looking at trying to separate out, okay, but you know, the people that are eating that way in that much more healthful way are actually more lean. They're smaller people. So Mm -hmm. is it simply an effect of obesity or extra tissue? Because that does increase how much territory your blood vessels have to create, right? Mm -hmm. So interesting study that got done a while ago that tried to pair lazy vegans or lazy whole food plant-based people with somebody else that was eating the regular standard junk food diet, but had the same BMI or had the same leanness level. And they ended up finding endurance athletes as the comparison group for this. And endurance athletes, yes, have a typical blood pressure of 120 over 70s, which great, perfect, normal, fantastic. And then when they went in to those lazy whole food plant-based people, those were people hanging out with lumbers around 105 over 60. I'm not surprised. Yeah. But I know I don't want this to mean that they were necessarily healthier because their blood pressure was lower. Because I don't know right. that. All we know from that is that the blood pressure was lower. But they're sedentary. So are they still at risk for health problems down the line due to being sedentary? Probably. Probably. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. And those people exercising, are they at overall lower risk because they are exercising so much? I don't know. If they're still eating the crap, then maybe not. But you could also argue that some endurance athletes, depending on how much your endurance athlete what you're doing and people who run multiple marathons are actually at higher risk for complications later on down the road. Yep. So you have to As be a little careful about, about that. Exercise episodes. Yeah. You can do too much. So not a problem for me. I'm not, I'm not reaching there. <laughs> no, me neither. Maybe one day, but not for me. Nope. <laughs> and so that's just an interesting thing to say. So the theme there is drop your blood pressure by eating more plants and less meat and less dairy. Mm-hmm. And the more you're able to do that, the better effect you're going to have. And so in that same vein, if you're able to get in more potassium, that's going to help drop your blood pressure. And where do we find potassium? Not in whole, or in whole food plant-based stuff, not in animal products. So yeah. spinach, kale, bananas to some degree. Although the banana effect of potassium, I feel like is colloquially overrated. Yeah. Like it's fine. I know. I'm not saying that there's no potassium in there. It's just there are other things that have more. Yeah, I think that might be uh, big banana advertising. Because <laughs> <laughs> potatoes and sweet potatoes have seem to have more. Yeah. And then you know you got your other veggies. You got squashes, broccolis, leafy greens, legumes, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. And then if you can get more calcium in you, absorbable, healthy sources of calcium, also those are going to be greens. Mm-hmm. And speaking of greens, this is how you can get 
something called nitric oxide yep. into your body. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So basically, it promotes endothelial uh, health, and then you get more nitric oxide that way. Plus, the breakdown products of a lot of those those leafy greens particularly result in nitric oxide. The key with those, though, uh, is you have to chew them. So people who put them in smoothies, it's not that there's no benefit, but you get a bit less benefit. So the typical recommendation is you cook it down a little bit and make sure you actually chew and swallow um, because the breakdown process that starts with your saliva in your mouth actually helps promote nitric oxide formation, which will dilate the blood vessels and keep your blood pressure low. And if you want to flavor it with a little balsamic vinegar, hey, that may work even better. Yep. And then this this is going to be silly, but one way to remember the term endothelium is that you can break it down, right? Endo, meaning inside, right? Theal, it's a layer, kind of sounds like peel, right? And yum, because food is very important. I wish people could see me dropping my head in the shame <laughs> right now. <laughs> Endothelium. So if you can get some yummy sources of potassium and calcium, and hey, even magnesium, like in beans and nuts, that can help a lot. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is a moment when... But if, if we had a, a YouTube channel, it would, would want to see your face. It would help. <laughs> <laughs> if you, you seem very disappointed in my choice. I, I'm disappointed <laughs> in you specifically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. So also, eating just whole grains, at least three servings of whole grains, seems to do a great deal in terms of reducing risks of getting things like um, stroke or heart attack. Mm-hmm. So whole grains are important. And everyone is always asking for information on specific foods okay 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 but i can do the exercise ah, maybe i'll eat more plants but what can i just can i just take some garlic i've had this question from family members i go um okay you could because you know garlic can make a drop it's been seen in some studies to drop it at maybe five over two which is substantial mm-hmm. but hey how about we start with the stuff that's making even a bigger impact but just stop eating as much junk food and start right. getting off the couch more because you're going to find a whole lot more benefit in there. It's going to reach beyond the blood pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And adding supplements in a couple of things. One, adding a supplement is, is fine. I mean, it's not going to probably hurt most people uh, if it's like a real supplement, not like a, you know, St. John's war, but like the turmeric and, you know, pills. And there are some side effects that you or can food. see with that. Yeah. But we also don't absorb it as well. Uh which is number one. And number two, do we really want to be adding in more pills uh, to confuse and mix? I, I don't know. I feel like we take enough pills, typically. Um, yeah, I'm actually talking about actual garlic. Oh, I think the garlic su- like supplements. Okay, fair enough. But you're right. You that, know, that's fine. Stinky breath is the bad part. Yeah, right. But there are, um, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of other things you can do to help out with that. To yeah. Cutting things out is just is going to be, especially with the way we eat now, cutting things out is a good start. Yeah, and cut things out while you put things in. Or... Put things in so much that are healthy that you just don't have any room for the junky stuff. Even better. So one way of doing that is, you know, you preload your plate, you eat the healthy stuff, and all right, you know what? If you still have room left over at the end, that's when you can have the junky stuff. And that may be one place that people can start. Mm-hmm. I usually tell people to start with uh, start with their broccoli. Eat your whole whole broccoli or whole greens before you even start your meal. I like to mix mine in with the meal. That that is the meal for me. I think that's it's fine for most people for people who are eating whole food, plant based. But if you're struggling, uh, different techniques for different people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like saying you got to eat your meal before you can have your dessert. Right. You got to take your medicine before you have your dessert, which has the unintended consequence for some of 
making that medicine or meal seem just terrible, like an obstacle that they have to overcome. Right. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've noticed that too, where you just you just start trying to you know eat quickly, get through your meal so you can get to the dessert, and yeah, and that sometimes leads to eating hand, less. You can, yeah, and if you can turn that obstacle into actually something you're looking forward to, like oh, broccoli with. Some nice hot rice. Ooh, what a good sauce. Oh, do some <laughs> crunchy other vegetables. And suddenly, uh, I'm hungry. And actually, I think I'll be making that for dinner. All right. So one other food I wanted to... A couple other foods I want to bring up. Flaxseed. There's actually been decent studies on flaxseed. And if you get yourself about four tablespoons per day, you can have a drop of maybe 15 over 15, which is huge. And this is particularly true if you're in the higher range of blood pressures. For people who have blood pressures over 150s, over 80s, they have a bigger drop. And this was within a double-blinded placebo-controlled trial. So this is decent information right here. Flaxseed is also really good for cholesterol, and it's also one of maybe your predominant source, or I should say our predominant source in getting your R-omegas. Yeah. So that's outside of blood pressure, but still helpful information. It is fantastic because you just emphasize the fact that it's all related. Right. These aren't things that just do one healthy thing. They're things that help us globally. Right. And then hibiscus tea, I think, has been made famous for this reason. But if you can drink a cup per meal, you might be able to expect a six-point drop in your systolic blood pressure. The only thing that I would caution with hibiscus tea is some people I've noticed had to add a lot of sugar to make it palatable. Oh. Some people yeah, I don't, be an issue. don't necessarily love the taste of it, which is totally fine. Uh, I don't mind it. Um, and most people that I know do like it, but I don't want to see people adding a bunch of tea to or sugar to tea mm-hmm. in order to make it. Yeah. I, don't do it if that's the case. But yes, I agree. If you like it, go for it. Yeah, good point. And then also in terms of nutrition, there's this cool study I was done. I want to say it was 2001. It is not new, but it took people through water fasting. People that had blood pressures at least over 140 over 90 and you know, made them eat fruit and vegetables only for a couple of days, then put them through a medically supervised fasting water only fast for a week and a half, 10 to 11 days, and then put them back on really a plant-based diet for about a week and then started checking their blood pressures again. And the average drop for those people was 37 over 13. Wow. That's average. And the people with worse blood pressures were gaining uh, or having bigger drops. Everyone was able to come off their medications. That's also impressive. Yeah. Which just shows this is potent stuff. This is why this is where we should be putting the emphasis. Because if we can help ourselves, we don't even need to delve into the realm of medications and complications and having to be on dialysis one day. Yeah. Yeah. Preventable. And you know what? For a lot of people, like we've just been talking about, also reversible. You can get low enough blood pressure that you don't need the assistance of medicines. So let's talk about other stuff, right? Let's talk about sleep. Sleep and blood pressure. Sleep helps blood pressure. If you don't have sleep, if you've noticed, you're probably cranky, stressed out, ramped up. You wouldn't know anything about that, Zach. Nope. Um, <laughs> but the odds ratio or the odds of having high blood pressure if you're not getting great sleep are in studies ranging from one to as many as five times as likely, as much as five times as likely. And in bigger studies, you're at risk if you're repeatedly sleeping at around five hours or less probably double the risk as anyone else yeah that's why one of the having high blood pressure one of the secondary cause i shouldn't know if it's considered a secondary cause but if you're having difficulty controlling your blood pressure regardless of being on medications a lot of times your doctor will work you up for sleep apnea because Mm -hmm. sleep apnea is, is often a cause of resistant elevated blood pressures yeah 
I mean, if you think about it, it's how stressed out, how much adrenaline would be pumping through your body if when you were asleep at night, I just came over, you know, a few times a minute and covered your mouth and plugged your nose. Just yeah. a few times a minute. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then let you drift off back to sleep again before you even wake up and realize it. Yeah. That's awful. And maybe sometimes. Yeah. I would freak out. I would, even if you're unconscious, your body is freaking out. It's yeah. saying, where did all the oxygen go? <laughs> right. Right. We need to ramp up everything. We need to push the blood through faster because whatever oxygen we have left needs to get faster and get in stronger. Well, then you get pulmonary hypertension with that as well, um, mm. which is the same concept. You're, in order to get that squeeze to get all that, that oxygen across to the lungs, which there isn't much of because you're cutting off your breathing every once in a while, your, your pulmonary vasculature, so the, the blood vessels leading the lungs will also tighten up. And so pulmonary hypertension is arguably even worse than hypertension as far as the profound effect it can have on your breathing. You won't have necessarily all the other stuff, but people with pulmonary hypertension have all sorts of, of breathing problems and it is not fun to deal with. Yeah, and it's real complicated to deal with. Yeah, especially when you add in hypertension on top of that and if you start getting you know congestive heart failure and pulmonary hypertension is a really, really rough combo. So sleep apnea, big deal. Make sure if you're, if you're being treated for that, you have to maintain your CPAP or whatever else it is uh, that you can do to get rid of that or get it treated. Yeah. And just to define pulmonary hypertension, that literally means pulmonary being lung, high blood pressure in your lung tissues. Right. So please get enough sleep. Also important to know is that how we deal with our stress can come in different ways. It doesn't have to be, as we mentioned before, it doesn't have to be in forms of meditation or mindfulness or even yoga or exercise, although those things are all great and we should all do them. It can also be in just how our relationships are with people, in how isolated we are versus how connected we are. And if we're able to have good, strong relationships, if we're able to be having friends or family that we connect with, if we're able to do these things, even if we're able to practice gratefulness, there's been good effects for gratefulness in specific in heart failure cases, especially with blood pressure. So if we're able to do these things, that's just icing on the cake. And then one last thing that I have, and it's probably not the last, never is the last when I say last thing. But one more thing that I found really interesting is that there's been some data saying that when you can have air filters in your um, home, air filtration, so that things less than two and a half microns are taken out, that that leads to about a four point drop in blood pressure. And the theory there is that, you know, there's less adrenaline response because your body is not having to deal with stuff getting in the way of gas exchange or oxygen and carbon dioxide and stuff that shouldn't be there getting in your lungs. I don't know how important that is. I think all the rest of this is important. If you live someplace that has a lot of pollution, then yeah, I see that being very important. If you live someplace where that's not the case, I just don't see that being where I would put yeah. my energy. Or or money, because sometimes that stuff can be expensive. Yeah, Those are two things that I probably, uh, yeah, I think you're probably, but yeah, if you lived in a really high pollutant area, I think that would stand to reason that it makes sense. One more thing we should probably mention is tobacco use and how, how it affects tobacco oh, use. Yeah. The effect that tobacco has in the body, basically it's a stimulant. So right there, you're automatically getting that that squeeze from the blood, blood vessels. Anything that's a stimulant will cause that. Uh, but also the amount of endothelial damage that occurs from tobacco use is, I, I don't even know how to quantify it in a, an objective way, but everything from a vascular disease is made worse by tobacco use. Um, whether it's peripheral vascular disease, if you have bad blood flow to the arteries in your feet and arms, uh, or if it's central, so you have strokes or, or heart attacks, all of it's made worse. 
Uh, and so if you're shutting down those channels, especially the capillary beds, which is where most of that, that tobacco effect will, will happen, you're going to increase resistance that way because you're going to have less channels for the blood to go through that that package uh, or, or the box that, or in this case, the tube that Sager is crawling through is going to get smaller. So that pressure is going to go up. Uh, so it's not just the stimulant effect, but it's also the the uh, endothelial dysfunction effect and and the fact that you can't release or respond to nitric oxide as well. So it's kind of a threefold. Uh, everything bad happens with, with tobacco use that will make your blood pressure go up and not to mention the direct effect it has on multiple other disease processes. But in regard to hypertension, it's bad for everything. Yeah. So if you're a smoker and you're starting down this road of trying to get a hold of your blood pressure, step number one is stop smoking. Yeah. If that's not an option for you and you need to start at one of these other things, okay, start there. But never underestimate the importance of getting rid of the smoking. I would argue that for almost everybody who smokes, the single best thing that they can do for their health is stop smoking ahead of everything else. Yeah. I just don't want people to give up on everything else. Yes, I agree. If they can't stop smoking. Yes. Maybe it'll be somebody that starts walking and they go, wow, I'm really out of breath. I never noticed I was out of breath until I had to walk. Mm-hmm. And all right, maybe maybe I just maybe I just give up smoking. Oh, or, wow. Now I can breathe easier. Or going in the nature you're something and you realize that the stress relief that you thought you got from smoking you're accomplishing somewhere else. Yeah, so, that's yeah, a good point. Yeah, and anything that gets you to stop. And again, that's something else to talk to your doctor about because your doctor would love nothing more than to get you off of, of tobacco. Completely. I'm not going to get into vaping, but it's not as great as you might think. But it is better. Yes. So in the end, let's summarize it this way. High blood pressure, big problem. If you're an American, you're probably going to get it, and it's going to cause you harm. Some significant complications, unless you get it under control. You can either do that with medicines, or if you can, you can use these other lifestyle interventions to not need medicines or to come off some medicines. And the big interventions here are going to be working through the ways we discussed earlier, which is decreasing your stress response, increasing how easily your blood vessels can shrink when they need to, and also expand when they need to. That's very important. And also decreasing how much junk is in your blood, how much blood there is, and how much junk is in it. We didn't even actually touch on viscosity, did we, in these lifestyle factors? No, we did not. Yeah. So let's actually touch on that right now. So if you fill your veins Let's do the flow media dilation example. So if you were going to look at how well your arteries expand and shut, uh, and this isn't directly in viscosity, but it is directly to grease. If we were going to look and put an ultrasound on your brachial artery and see how well does that artery open and shut, it'd do pretty well. Now, um, you put a tourniquet above that part where you're looking at, and you cut off the blood flow. What should be happening is your blood vessel opens even more because it's saying, oh, there's a problem here. I need to let more blood flow through. And it should do that unless you've eaten something fatty. Mm -hmm. Typically a a refined fat when I say fatty, Uh, you know, some sort of oil or grease or animal product. Then you find that that blood vessel does not open as well. And as we've talked about, if your blood vessel is not opening as well, then there's less space in there and there's higher blood pressure. Two ways to get around this. One, you don't eat that stuff. And then it does what it needs to. But two, interestingly enough, if you exercise, that can abate that. That can lessen that response and make it increase. Problem is, if you keep eating that way every meal and a snack, and a midnight snack, you would have to exercise 
every millennial snack and a midnight snack. So <laughs> I would also add in that that effect from the fatty meal is almost immediate. So when they did that study, mm-hmm. it was what, like half an hour to an hour after they ate, they checked yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was not like a six month, let's recheck this. It was immediate. Mm-hmm. And then if you're looking at things like viscosity, if you're looking at how thick the blood is, if you end up putting more crud in there, you end up changing how well the blood can flow. It's not able to flow as quickly. It's flowing more slowly, which congests the whole thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you feel like that's, you want to add anything on there to no. make that more clear? Nope. I think that's, that's about right. I mean... You made a good example last time when you talked about the balloon filled with water versus Vaseline that, you know, one's going to flow easy. And then when you push on it, it's definitely not going to feel. Yeah, it's just it's harder to push it through. It it takes more pressure to push through something that's thicker and has more resistance. Yeah, if you poke a hole in that balloon, the water is going to come spraying out. I'm not sure the Vaseline will come out at all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. Let's try it. (laughs) But we'll do that later. So to sum this up, you have control. You can take control through any of these different routes, and you can hopefully at this point know that there is a real biologic, physics, chemical explanation for how it's working, that it's real, that it can happen, that it's happened for other people, so why not you? Try them all, as often as you can. I agree. Yeah, I don't know if I would sum it up any differently than that. And if you need help, we're around. Come to CPRHealthClinic.com. This is what we help with. We can get you even more information, but more than that, we can help you actually implement all of these techniques, implement what needs to happen and what the priorities need to be and work with your doctors. Yeah. Check us out. CPRHealthClinic.com. There's also courses on there. Lots more information. And then also, please, if you like this podcast, if you think it's worth five stars, go ahead and give it a five star rating. And that helps the information get out to others out there who are in need of it. Thanks for listening. And remember, the way you live can save your life.